0: Hello and welcome in. We really appreciate you joining us for this Wednesday edition of the Frarian and Smith podcast. It's February 1st and we're down to the final five schools in our Sunbelt in review series over the past several weeks. If you've missed it, we've taken an inside look at each Sunbelt schools 22 season on our latest episode episode 62. We'll focus on the 2022 season for the Louisiana Ragin Cajuns, a team that finished six and seven with a bowl loss in their first season under head coach Michael Desermo. We hope that you've been able to catch the last couple episodes in our Sunbelt in review series. On Friday's episode, we spoke with App State sideline reporter Molly Cotton, who provided insight into the ups and downs in Boone this year. Plus, listen to our episode with 24-7 sports reporter Ben Moore, who gave us an inside look into the Georgia State Panthers. If you missed either of those episodes, don't worry. We've got you covered. You can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You're certainly not going to want to miss those episodes. We have just three episodes remaining, Caden, in our Sunbelt in-review series. Today, we'll focus our attention on the 22 season for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. This is a Ragin' Cajuns team that won the Sunbelt championship in 21 and then now in 2022 brought a lot of change to the Bayou in the form of a new head coach and a new look roster.
1: I said it once and I'll say it again, very upset to see this series get closer and closer to the end because it's just been great to hear the perspective of the people on the ground reporting these teams, covering them and the people who truly know them best. And it was no different with this episode. And I'm really excited for the people to hear it.
0: Kane, I have to admit, I've personally been listening back to these episodes and I feel like I've even learned more the second time around. But the insight that we've gotten uh, from these reporters on the ground has been invaluable On this episode, we're excited to welcome writer Kevin Foote, who covers the team for The Advocate and is the voice of Acadiana Sports to the Frary and Smith podcast to break down a season full of challenges for Louisiana. Caden, tell our listeners a little bit more about what they're going to hear on this episode.
1: Yeah, it was great talking to Kevin. He knows this Louisiana program like the back of his hand, it seems like. And it was just very interesting to hear his perspective of a team that went from the mountaintop of this conference to now kind of just a middle of the pack team, barely vying for a bowl game. And they definitely have some things to figure out from a player standpoint, a coaching standpoint. And it's going to be very interesting to see what their offseason looks like. So love talking to them about that. And without further ado, let's get to our interview with Kevin Foot.
0: Well, Kevin, really excited to have you on the podcast here today. Yes, sir. How are y'all? Good morning. Hey, we're doing well early on in this morning. uh, But, Kevin, we're going to jump right in. And when you look at this Louisiana team, they won the conference championship in 2021. They lose their head coach and a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, but still had championship aspirations going into this year. Things didn't quite go the way that they expected, and there was that really challenging stretch in the middle of the season. They end up going six and seven and losing that bowl game to a pretty good Houston team. What were your overall assessments on the team this year
2: well i I, I think they there were things that they they were hoping to be able to replace on the their biggest problem early on was the offensive line. you know obviously, when coach Napier went to Florida, offensive line coach went. Osiris Torrance who I've seen being predicted as high as 13th or 14th in the first round an offensive guard went they lost uh, Max Mitchell to the Jets he played a lot of time a lot for the Jets this season to the draft they also lost a backup and in addition to that they had three key injuries on the offensive line from the one left so they basically had an offensive line that had not not only had not played together, but almost all of them did not participate in the spring. And so it took until the South Alabama game around week five or so before the offensive line was was really a viable unit. Like they they just they just once they got caught up with the offensive line, they were really a pretty good football team. The other thing about the Cajuns this year, and I've said it over and over and tried to warn people, the Cages were 13 and 1, Billy's last two seasons at UL in one score games. And you just, you're not going to continue to win every closed game. And it just, it just, sports just don't work that way. And it was going to catch up with them eventually. And this year, every game that they won was in blowout fad, double digits. They, they didn't win any one, one score games this year. So I think they're going to be okay moving forward. But it was just a transition year in many different ways.
1: So, Kevin, this is Coach Desimo's first year, first season at the helm, and he's obviously someone who's very familiar with the program, having played there and then being on the coaching staff since 2016, but he faced some adversity in his first season as a head coach. Could you give us an evaluation of his first season as the head guy for Louisiana?
2: Yeah, you know, he w- he's a guy who the players really like and respected, the coaches really like and respected. You could tell it was wearing on him early on because – you know, you don't want to come out as a coach or a coaching staff and say, "Look, guys, we have serious offensive line issues. We don't know when we're going to get this line together." And so, you know, he he talked at all the positives and 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 played everything up. They're still playing with a championship mentality early on, but he knew that it was going to take a while. And had they want, you know, they blew a game in Monroe because they snapped the ball over the punter's head and kind of gave a game away. If they had not done that, then Things might have been a little different, but I, I think by the end of the year, people could see that they were making adjustments. Uh, the second halves were starting to be; seem like they were making good adjustments in the second half when early in the year it didn't seem that way. And so I think by the end of the year, he got the confidence of the fan base a little more. Look, there were a lot of questions going in. There were a lot of critics, people. A lot of people, when you hire a new head coach, you want to go get someone from outside because you feel like somehow they're more qualified. But like Appalachian State is a prime example of a program that promotes from within. And the Cajuns did the same thing. And I think it's going to work out in the long run.
0: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you see where a guy who's on the previous staff stays and they have a lot of success. And I would expect to see that moving forward. Uh, we briefly talked about the transfer portal earlier on, and it's been a big topic in college football this offseason. But if you're a Raging Cajun fan, it was a big topic this past season, and it really felt like it impacted this year's team. They lost running backs like Amani Bailey, Montrell Johnson, as well as some key defensive players Williams-Garner, McCaskill, among others. How much did the portal losses impact this team this season?
2: Well, again, I I think on the offensive line, now, certainly, if, you know, Amani Bailey was a really good running back, and Montrell was as well. I mean, he led Florida in rushing this year. So, you know, obviously, if they had those running backs, they'd have been a little better. But, again, I really think the biggest loss is you just – I mean, hardly any program, but especially a mid-major, it's hard to replace an offensive guard who's going to be in the, probably picked in the first round. And so the, I think they could have over – they had depth at cornerback, so they were okay at cornerback. Um, they lost a good wide receiver, but I don't really think that was the issue in Kyron Lacey. I think the biggest issue, again, going back to what we said before, was just the losses on the offensive line coupled with injuries there And it was just too much to overcome early.
1: Another big loss for that team was Levi Lewis, a quarterback. I know it was a person that I despised playing just because he was so good and so mobile and so accurate and such a big key to that offense. And one of the biggest topics in the really the whole conference this season was kind of the in-season quarterback battle that was going on between Chandler Fields and Ben Wooldridge. We saw some back and forth at the start of the season. And you see Ben earn the job before getting hurt. And then Chandler ends the season as QB1. Can you pull back the curtain just about how that quarterback situation unraveled the entire season really
2: you know all some in August drills I, I didn't really know what to expect and I and, and you know how it is when you listen to coaches they tell you a little bit of the truth but not really all of the truth and so I kept trying to hear like what what are they really trying to tell us in these press conferences and coach Des is a guy likes aggressiveness but the, the the secret to Levi Lewis was that he didn't turn over the football, and he did what he was supposed to do all of the time. I mean, it was really, it was incredible in a lot of ways. Now, he wasn't as flashy. They didn't always get as many 40- and 50-yard gains as a lot of the fans wanted, but he did what he was supposed to do, and he didn't turn over the ball. So I kind of thought they were going to go with Ben all along. Chandler's known as more of the riverboat gambler, kind of of fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants kind of quarterback with a little confidence and a strong arm. And Ben's known more as like the textbook guy who's going to do exactly what the play shows. But what happened? So I really thought Ben was going to win the job. I was a little surprised they went with Chandler. And the truth of the matter is, it's probably unfair to judge Chandler because when Chandler was starting those first three or four games, again the offensive line was not good at all, and so and they didn't really have a running game, and they didn't protect him, and so it. it I don't know how fair it is to judge Chandler, but the thing that happened when Ben took over is, even though when you when you see him in press conferences, he seems really low key. You know, it doesn't seem to have you know leadership doesn't just ooze out of him from a press conference perp- perspective. But according to the coaches and players, he just became an automatic leader, that, and they just really connected with him. When he got hurt, it was in practice. I mean, it was you know totally unexpected you know someone rolled into him in practice which never happens and and they were just crushed and so when Chandler came back I thought the bowl game Chandler um play really that was the best I've seen him play and and so you know I most of us thought that one of these three were going to enter the portal and and no one's entered the portal yet and so I guess they're going to they're gonna go through the spring and see where it is, and then whoever feels like they're probably in third because there's the um, a freshman uh, kid who was a freshman this year. I don't know if you saw him. In the, the, at the end of the Texas State game, he played. At the end of the bowl game, he played, and he just looks fabulous, Zeon Chris. So I, I don't think all three of these guys are going to make it to August, but we'll see. I think the Cajuns have three good options at quarterback.
0: Kevin, just as you know, a follow-up to that question, based on what you saw from both of those quarterbacks and, the, and then the young freshman, uh, and everything you know about the situation, how do you expect that quarterback competition to shake out during the offseason heading into next year?
2: Obviously, Ben has to get healthy. I mean, you know, he suffered a knee injury. And so assuming they're all healthy, I would think that unless somebody just, you know, goes crazy in the spring, which I don't. I don't know how much you can really get done in the spring in a three-quarterback race. But uh, and I, I kind of think Ben is going to go in as the starter, would be my guess. And I, I think they're hoping Zeon beats out Chandler, but 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 I don't know. I mean, it, I really think Chandler. I would put third going into this race, but he's got he again. He played really well in the bowl game. I thought it. It was freezing conditions in uh, in Shreveport, and and the Cajuns got a little unlucky because Houston's one of the only teams in the country where everybody played in the bowl game. Like the Cajuns were playing without their best wide receiver Jefferson and 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 Andre Jones, who's if not their best defensive player, on their second or third. So they were playing without like probably two of their top five or six players, and everyone played for Houston, and the Cajuns led the whole game until the last twenty seconds or whatever. So. They were a little unlucky there. I thought I thought he played well, but right now I would put it Ben and then Zion and then Chandler, but again, uh you know, a lot can change between now and September.
1: Speaking about last season a little bit more, that running game has been such a staple for this program year after year, but this season there was a significant drop off this team averaged only 141 yards on the ground per game, that's the lowest it's been since 2011. Chris Smith looked injured at times, maybe not himself, some of the younger running backs were given some more responsibility. I know you mentioned that offensive line might have been an issue as well. What do you think led to the drop up of production in that running back room?
2: Well, like you said, I think it started with the offensive line. You know, I I'm sure y'all remember Raymond Cole and I covered him in high school. And I didn't know what kind of back he would be at that level. But Raymond, Raymond really got, was really good. But when Raymond had his best season, he had Trey Regus and Elijah Mitchell. I mean, that was, those guys were really good. So you had a legitimate three-headed monster. This year, I, I just think Chris is a is a great kid. I mean, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed covering him. But I just never thought he was a number one back. I mean, the number one back for the Cajuns is normally a, guy that can go straight ahead and run in between the tackles and he can do that but he's really more of a Raymond Colley more like third down back and and then you know you had Draylen Washington who they really like but I, it took him a while to pick up the offense so I just don't think they had enough combination of the right kind of skill set at running back uh, and experience and then when you couple that with the offensive line struggling for the first four or five games I think all of that Led into the running game just not being what it needed to be.
0: Yeah, I think that is some interesting, uh, you know, perspective there. Obviously, when you lose so many talented running backs over the last couple of years, you probably would come to expect some level of a drop off. You know, one unit on this team that we did not see a drop off from this year, Kevin, was that defense, and you know, they looked like they had that championship level DNA at times this year. Defensive coordinator Lamar Morgan really did a nice job calling the defense in his first season. Uh, what were your thoughts on that unit, and do you see that being a pillar of this team moving forward?
2: Well, we'll see. I mean, yes, my first reaction to that question is yes, except for, you know, they're losing Braylon Tronho, who's been a really good player at safety. Uh, they lo- they're they losing Zion Hill, who's been a, just a staple there. Andre Jones has been real good. So they're losing three or four really good players who have been there and been part of that deep, those defenses playing well. You know, I, I think we didn't really know what to think. And when South, you know, South Alabama was playing really well early on, when they came to Cajun field, I think a lot of us thought the Cajuns were going to have a tough time in that matchup. And when that became a defensive struggle, the Cajuns really shut South Alabama down pretty good in that game. That was the first time, like, well, the defense is kind of getting it together. And then when they went to Marshall, they just completely shut down Marshall. And uh, and so yeah, the defense I thought played well. It, it you know, it, it gave up. And I guess every defense is going to do this to some extent. It gave up one too many big plays here and there at Monroe. They had the special teams gap, but they also gave up like an eighty-five yard pass in that game. That. Eh, you, they, they, you, they didn't do as good a job. They gave up a few too many big plays. But you're right. They were very consistent. They forced turnovers all season long. And if they can continue that next season somehow, then um, I believe that the offensive line and every, the offense will be a lot more further along. And I think they'll be back to competing again.
1: Kevin, let's talk about this signing class. Louisiana brings in a pretty big group here, 20-plus kids, nine in-state products, nine linemen total. If you look at offensive and the defensive side of the ball, who are a couple of players that this coaching staff seems really excited about that's going to be incoming this season?
2: Well, the biggest issue that they had coming out of this season was the defensive line. They had a kid who started the first two games. who He got suspended by the NCAA for taking a drug supplement over the counter that he wasn't supposed to take. And, um, you know, and then they had some injuries on the defensive line, so they really hit the offense and defensive line hard. They really like it. I we don't know for sure who they're going to sign, like three or four more uh, next week. And if they get a transfer portal person late, I, I would think it would probably be a defensive lineman. I wouldn't be surprised. Kind of expect them to draft to sign one or two, maybe junior college defensive linemen. So those are the ones they hit hard. But late in the process. They got a wide receiver named Harvey Broussard out of St. Martinville, a nearby town near Lafayette. And uh, we covered him in high school. And he had committed to Memphis and had other bigger schools, Power Five schools kind of coming on him late. And he ended up signing. They they were very excited about him. But I think the thing that they liked the most that they got is really beefing up in in the trenches, which is even going back to Coach Hud when the Cajuns went to those first four bowl games, the the Cajuns – have always they get a they have success much like app because they're good on the line of scrimmage better than most teams in the Sun Belt and they're hoping to get back to that.
0: Kevin, we're going to put you on the hot seat in just a moment, but before we get to that, uh I want to ask you about Michael Jefferson's season. He, you know, was the outstanding wide receiver, one of the best in the Sun Belt. Obviously doesn't play in the bowl game and is now, you know, heading for the NFL draft. Uh what was your take on on his season and you know, looking back over the last five years, where does he kind of rank in terms of wide receivers that this program has seen?
2: You know, one of the things that I, me and Coach Napier, I didn't always agree on him. He, he, he kind of, he always believed in splitting things up. And and I like having a clear-cut number one receiver where the quarterback, when it's third down, kind of like Kirk Cousins at the end of that playoff game, you know, you, you know, When it gets to be a pickle, you can throw up to a guy at about, I don't know, what, four or five years ago, the Cajuns had um, a wide receiver named Jamarcus Bradley, who's been with the Browns. He was really good, and they had never really replaced him. And they always talked about, well, they have depth there, but they never had a true. But Michael Jefferson became that true number one receiver this year. Uh, He's a guy, he made big catches in traffic. Um, He got deep. and when people pressed him, like they went to Southern Miss and they had a nightmare first half at Southern Miss and they were really all over him. And then in the second half, he just, they, they, Southern Miss really had trouble containing him. I was extremely impressed with Michael Jefferson and they don't win the bowl game. Coach Des's first, the New Orleans Bowl, when they beat Marshall, they don't win that bowl game if they he doesn't make a great catch in the second half uh, on a huge third down play, so it really started the, the bowl game the year before, but he he was a true number one receiver. I kind of expect him to at least make a practice squad at the NFL level.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was a special college player, and I know Caden and I are looking forward to seeing what his future looks like as he heads to the NFL. Well, Kevin, here's the question we've been waiting to ask. We've talked about the past, we've talked about the present, and even the future of this program But let's dive a little bit deeper into that future. This is a team that's going to go to Minnesota, to Troy, to South Alabama. uh, But they also got a pretty fair draw with East opponents playing Georgia State and Old Dominion. Uh, We haven't seen the exact alignment of the schedule yet. But based on the opponents, what would you expect would be uh, a fair assessment of a record that Louisiana might have heading into next year?
2: Well, like I said, as uh you know we have to see that, that they have two safeties that they're very excited about big physical guys and if they continue to progress uh they're losing two linebackers but i think they really like their line their young linebackers assuming they stay reasonably healthy i think the offensive line is going to be much better than it was last year you know you know they were 6 and 6 in the regular season i i i think they'll be more like a 9 win you know, nine and three type team next year is kind of, of course, you know, everyone has to stay reasonably healthy, you know, the drill, but as long as I, I think they'll progress, I I kind of thinking about nine and three next year.
0: Well, definitely excited to hear that optimism for this program. I mean, that could turn the uh, the West into quite the fun race with three teams, South Alabama, Troy and Louisiana competing. And I think that would be a lot of fun for the Sun But Well, Kevin, really appreciate you taking some time. We've learned a lot today. I know Caden Kay- and I have benefited from your coverage throughout the year and definitely appreciate you taking some time to join us.
2: Good talking to y'all. Y'all have a good day.
0: Gain, okay, I'm not sure if my favorite part was Kevin's accent, the raging Cajun accent down there or some of the information that he provided, but With this team, Caden, we have to start with talking about the position group that we talked about more than any other position group in the Sun Belt this year, and that's the quarterback position. Kevin gave us some great insight there. They really like that young freshman, Zeon Chris, but then expecting to see guys like Chandler Fields and Ben Wooldridge back. Kevin gave us his take, Caden. If you're trying to get in the minds of this team, who would be your guy heading into the 23 season at quarterback?
1: Yeah, it was definitely great hearing Kevin talk about his perspective, because we can talk about being far, far from the program, who he thinks the best person for the job or who he thinks is going to maybe win the job in the offseason. But Kevin's there every day at the practice, seeing how the people interact with the team. And I thought it was very interesting, his perspective on Chandler Fields as a leader at the press conference versus Ben Woodridge, what he brings to the table. For me personally, I think Ben Wooldridge was more of the player that gave this team the best chance to win. We talked about the risks that might be taken a little bit more with a guy like Chandler Fields. And when you have a team that has issues running the ball and that's not really normal, team issues at the offensive line you want the person who's maybe not going to be that risk taper just to play your cleanest brand of football it sounds like the freshman has some of that capability too so it's going to be very interesting to see how he evolves this offseason but for me personally I thought Ben Woodridge this team looked the best under his command but it's going to be a whole offseason I've been on teams where you see guys one year like completely different dudes the next year so I think it's going to be very important and critical to see who can get the better the most better I guess this offseason when you look at that quarterback room
0: Okay, and I thought it was interesting when talking with Kevin just how much of an emphasis he put on the struggles at offensive line this year, the injuries, uh, because, you know, as we asked him in that interview, we talked about the struggles at running back this year for Louisiana. They just didn't look like the raging Cajuns that we had come to expect, and then we also saw struggles at the quarterback position, and he might have pinpointed that a lot of those struggles came from some of that inconsistency on that offensive line.
1: And I think that might have been a blind spot even for us talking about this team this season. We know that issues at the skill positions, but a lot of issues that you see sometimes at those skill positions are a direct reflection of what you have going on up front in your team. So I think coming into next year now, if we do see a healthy offensive line, some continuity up there, I'm very excited to see with them retaining a lot of that talent, what they can do next season. But Like he talked about with the running back position, the quarterback position, when you have championship caliber players, the Elijah Mitchells, the Trey Raguses, the Levi Lewis is leading your offense and you have those guys not there anymore, you're going to see a significant drop off. I remember playing those guys and they gave our App State teams headaches left and right. And you look at this year's team, maybe some of those guys have that potential, but it's kind of hard to see that potential when you have trouble up front.
0: A rumor has it that sometimes you wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking about those Louisiana running backs. You certainly faced them enough during your career. But, uh, Caden, on the defensive side of the football, we talked about it with Kevin. This was a defense that at times felt like they had that championship DNA. A lot of great pieces, but there's going to be some guys that are departing this program. What's your take on that defense next year, and do you think that they can have another big year and maybe be one of the pillars for this team?
1: We talked about the culture of this team, the championship-level defense, and that DNA. I think that's really what's going to be the most important thing for this defense. They're losing a lot of important players, yes, but teams in this conference and teams across the country, the teams that you see year in and year out continue to have great defenses, elite defenses. They have that continuity and that culture, so when they have a next-man-up mentality and it's someone else's time to take the helm, there's no drop-off, so they're going to have to replace some key positions. Kevin telling us that he ha- they have some safeties back there that they think are going to be very good next year and some linebackers that we might not have seen before but they have faith in is a very big and promising sign, I think, when you look at this team. And I think if you can look at a team like Louisiana and they can continue to plug and play and have all-conference talent year in and year out that's different guys, new household names every year, new safeties, new linebackers, and new defensive linemen that you all of a sudden have to be worried about year in and year out, I think that's very sustainable and very successful, I think, when you look at how to be successful in this conference.
0: Hey, we all know that one of your fetishes is talking about good safety play, and, and rightfully so. But, Caden, we've joked about it a lot on these in-review series. We have some very optimistic writers and reporters in terms of end-of-the-year records. Kevin felt like this is a team that could get to eight or nine wins uh, in that West. Do you think that is realistic?
1: So we'll see at the when we get closer to the season I'll have a more I'll have my chest out more about this take but from what Kevin was saying he kind of made me a believer I think a lot of the issues we saw from Louisiana's team last year as far as leadership losing coaches players all that stuff now they're going to bring back people who've taken their lumps they're like okay we know what championship level football looks like we know what non-championship football looks like now and they know what it takes so i think if they can have that offensive line continuity stay healthy have some players in the program who have a better understanding now going into this year i kind of had high hopes for this team i think you look at the troys and the south alabamas they're obviously going to deserve and garner that respect from the season they had last year but i think as far as teams that maybe didn't have the year that they wanted last year heading into this year louisiana might have a little, a little bit more potential than i think you'd think as far as what the damage they can do in this conference is
0: hey I like how that sounds because they really let me down this year I had them winning the west and you know I'm still taking my lumps on this podcast (laughs) from that pick but I want to talk about some standouts for this raging Cajuns team so uh Caden on each one of these episodes we've done some end of the year awards the only rule was that uh one player couldn't win multiple awards Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with our freshman MVP and Kevin talked about him. Draylon Washington. He was a player that, as Kevin mentioned, struggled to pick up the offense at the beginning of the year. But as the year progressed, Caden, he started to play some really good football, 64 carries, 364 yards and two touchdowns. They bring him back next year. And for a team that struggled in that running back room, he was a a really big bright spot.
1: He definitely was. And I think Like I talked about before, the people that are going to come back to this team with more experience, more reps and getting the game slowed down a little bit more for them. I look at guys like Draylon Washington who struggled in the beginning of the season, kind of came into his own at the end of the year. And I think coming into this season, if he has another offseason where it slows down a little bit more for him, I think it's a big part of a running backs game is kind of finding those holes, kind of figuring out where you fit in as far as the scheme that's going to be huge for him. So I'm really looking for him to not only have a good freshman season like he had last year, but maybe build on that next year. But moving to the other side of the ball, when we talk about defense in this team and how special it is for our defense MVP, we have to go with the middle linebacker, Jordan Quibodo. I mean, this guy led this team in tackles with 107, had four and a half TFLs, a sack, a quarterback hurry. This man was everywhere. He was probably... You have a lot of great linebackers in this league, but as far as sideline to sideline goes, he's definitely the top three or four guys in this conference. And when you look at this defense and a lot of the pressure that was put on them because of the situation of their offense, I look to a guy like Jordan just because he was their most consistent player on the defensive side of the ball. And that's a big thing to say as far as looking at this team, but week in and week out, this dude was having 14, 15 tackle games. Sometimes this dude was such a staple of this defense and really epitomized what the defense and this culture that they're trying to build in just a huge year for here. So he's definitely our defensive MVP.
0: Kayden, I've been listening a lot to Greg McElroy's Always College Football podcast, and he talks a lot about game wreckers. And Jordan Quibito was certainly a game wrecker. He was truly that sideline-to-sideline side guy for Louisiana this year. I think that's a, a fantastic pick. Caden, offensive MVP, there wasn't many bright spots on offense this year. We've talked about that throughout the season, but one guy that I know that you and I were extremely high on was Michael Jefferson, and he's our offensive MVP for Louisiana. 51 catches, 810 yards, seven touchdowns, and all of that without playing in the bowl game. We have talked at length about the quarterback issues, and you imagine if they had been able to solidify that earlier on in the year. Jefferson was very likely a 1,000-yard type receiver this year. He was that good. So I had to go with uh, Michael Jefferson as my offensive MVP for Louisiana.
1: No, it's no question here, and I think we've talked about in the past, teams that had kind of a revolving door at quarterback a little bit and need that one number one guy to rely on. Michael Jefferson stepped up to the plate huge this year. He boosted all the stats, receiving yards, touchdowns, all those stats boosted them up and was so important and critical to this team's offense. And it's just crazy to me thinking about a team that was so predicated on running the ball. All of a sudden, I had to rely on the big threat like Michael Jefferson out there. So definitely an MVP and definitely well-deserved. No one can see my face right now who's listening to this podcast, but no one can see the smile I have on my face now that we're about to announce the team MVP on this team. We talked about Jordan Quibodo's importance to this defense, and I feel like because of the versatility of this person's position, the Swiss Army knife kind of capabilities they gave to this team The team MVP is safety, Braylon Trahan. I mean, this guy is one of the best safeties in the conference year in and year out and really had a breakout season for his last year at ULL. So look at his season, 78 tackles. That's second on the team behind Quibodo, which is very impressive to do. At the safety position, then he goes on to have four interceptions, which ranked top five in the conference, three pass breakups, a fumble recovery, a forced fumble. This man did everything for this team. I think if he wouldn't have been as versatile and everywhere on the field as Jordan Quibido couldn't have been just because he was at the linebacker spot, maybe you can flip flop those. But the season Braylon had was amazing. And I think one of the craziest parts to me was he had three of those interceptions three weeks in a row, two of them in big wins against Arkansas State and Marshall. So just have to give your hats off to him for the versatile season he had, just making an impact in the run game and the pass game for this team.
0: As a special note, Caden, and if our listeners want to do this, go on the internet, pull up a picture of Trehon, pull up a picture of Caden Smith in their helmets, and look at them side by side, and I tell you that they are long-lost twins. Well, <laughs> we'd like to say a special thank you to the Advocates Kevin Foote for joining us for today's conversation. I did want to tell you that we're going to take a quick break from our Sunbelt in-review series. Uh, later this week, we've actually got a really special guest, Jim Nagy, who is the executive director of Reese's Senior Bowl. Coming on the podcast, he's going to break down the numerous Sunbelt athletes who are going to participate in Saturday's showcase game. So certainly you're going to want to listen to that episode. And then we're going to come back that next week and round out the final four teams. You've got ULM, Texas State, Arkansas State, and Old Dominion as we get set to wrap up this Sunbelt in-review series. Well... That'll do it for us here at the Frary and Smith podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, please like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue to be here all off season, keeping you up to date on all the latest happenings around the Sun Belt. Well, for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you being with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now.
2: We'll talk to you again soon.